Romans 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Messiah Yeshua is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. I want to title this sermon today, Call, Justified, and Glorified. We covered verses 28, really verse 29 last Sabbath. For those he foreknew, these he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son. We talked about loving, intimate foreknowledge. It's not just a raw, bare knowledge that Yahweh just sees into the future and sees what you're going to do. And then on that basis, on the basis of your choice, he chooses you. No, it's his choice. It's his doing. He lovingly foreknows you. It's an intimate knowledge that he has, a relationship. But it's not based upon anything that you do. It's simply based upon his purpose, his glory, and his will. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says that Yahweh works all things together after the counsel of his will. That means that nothing ever happens in this earth without a purpose, not even evil. Everything happens according to the sovereign Yahweh creator's plan. So those he foreknew, these he also did predestined, and we define that as you're giving a destination or, or determining something beforehand. The Greek word, I think, was pro or rezo. We talked about in Acts 4 how that the death and the resurrection of Yeshua was already planned and how that Herod and Pontius Pilate, they could only do what Yahweh allowed them to do and that you could not have stopped Calvary if you wanted to stop Calvary because it was already in the plan of Yahweh. Yeshua was the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. It was going to happen. Nobody, not the biggest army on earth, could have stopped it. Okay? Nobody could have. It was predestined. And this is talking about individual people here being predestined. All through Romans 8, he's talking about individual believers, individual people. And here, he's continuing to encourage them. What he says in verse 28, all things work together for the good of those who love Yahweh. And this is why, because those that he lovingly foreknew, these he also did predestine. And it wasn't just any kind of predestination. It was a predestination to be conformed to the image of his son. That's why you know that if somebody tells you, well, I've been predestined, but they're not being conformed to the image of the son, you know that they're not telling the truth. Because all those that Yahweh predestines for salvation are conforming to the image of the son. Why? Because it's Yahweh's doing. And therefore, he's going to do it. He's going to let that happen. We talked also about him being the firstborn of many brothers. A lot of people try to say that word firstborn just means preeminent and not born first. It can mean preeminent in some cases in the Bible, but I think here it's definitely talking about the very first one in order, not just in rank. He's the first person to ever receive immortality, everlasting life. He was resurrected not to die again, but he was resurrected to live forever. 
And those that put their faith and their trust in Him will also be resurrected to live forever at the Messiah's second coming. And so we come to verse 30 today. And it says, And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Now I want you to notice here something I termed as the golden chain last week. Theology calls it the golden chain of redemption. That's not necessarily a biblical term, but it's okay to describe what Paul is writing about in Romans 8. The first link on the chain is, is foreknowledge. The second link on the chain is predestination. And the third link is those he predestined, these he also called. So what kind of calling is this? Well, I think it's the same calling as Paul already mentioned in Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love Yahweh, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, is that called like the general call, where you just witness to people and you call them to salvation? Or is it the internal call? What we might say the effectual call, a call that is... Spiritual, a call that's on the heart and on the mind, something you cannot see. See, right now as I'm preaching, I'm calling out to everybody. I'm calling out to everybody to serve Yahweh, believe in His Son, follow His ways, study the Bible. But that's just a general call. That's a call that Matthew can do. I do not know who Yahweh's chosen elect are. I don't have a clue. So I put forth a general call, okay? But then there's what's called an effectual call or an internal call. Now, that's something that Matthew can't do. Only Yahweh can do that for you. Only Yahweh can call you internally and effectually. Now, that can happen while I give the general call. You can have something go on in your heart while I give the general call, but it's not me that's doing it. It's Almighty Yahweh that's doing it. And I think that that's what this call is talking about. And the reason I think that is because all those that are called are also, as the fourth link says, justified. You'll notice in verse 30, and those he called, he also justified. And we'll get into justified in a second. Justification is a declaration of innocence. It's like you're in a courtroom and Yahweh's the judge and he declares you to be pure and innocent. And it's based upon the work of his son. But think about it. Everybody that is called in the general call, is not justified, right? We go out and witness to a lot of people and we call them, like Matthew twenty-two fourteen says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now there you have the words called and chosen, but that word chosen is in reference to the internal call there. Many people you call, but everybody you call generally, they're not all justified. Only those that have that special internal calling are justified. That's why I think this is the internal call, the effectual call. So we get back here to the word justified. It's a declaration of innocence in Yahweh's court of law. I teach my children, that's the definition of justified, to be declared innocent in Yahweh's court of law. And in this case, the reason you're declared innocent, and it's only one reason, it's not because of anything that you've done, because you've already messed up. You've already violated the holy law. Matthew Jensen has broken the Sabbath, you know, and a host of other things before. And so Yahweh demands perfection. He's a holy creator. He demands perfection. I come up to his court and I'm guilty. But, but though, 
he allows me to be declared innocent if, if I accept the gift of his only begotten son. Because his only begotten son lived perfectly, never broke the law. Then he died as a sacrifice, but not only as a sacrifice, but as a substitute sacrifice. Isaiah 53, he was wounded, Isaiah says, for our transgressions. He wasn't wounded for his own transgressions, but for Isaiah's in all of Israel there that Isaiah is is referring to. So he's a substitute sacrifice there, okay? And then he resurrected victoriously, which we'll talk about here, here shortly. That's the reason why you can be justified. It's not by your works. It's not by your obedience. And the reason it's not is because you've not been obedient. You say, well, Brother Matthew, I'm striving to obey now. That may be true. You might be regenerated now, but that wasn't how it was always in your life. We've all committed sin. And that's just not in Romans 3.23. That's Ecclesiastes 7.20, Psalm 143, verses 1 through 2, and a large portion of Daniel chapter 9. All of the holy men of old in in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, they all recognize that everybody has committed sin. Nobody can be declared innocent in the sight of the Creator by their works. You're justified by faith. And faith is not something that you do necessarily. It's something that you're trusting in. Yahweh says, I know you've disobeyed and you've not kept my law, but if you put your faith, if you come to me with an empty hand of faith in my son who did keep my law, and then died for you, if you repent and believe in Him, I'll declare you innocent. You can wear His robe of righteousness and be declared innocent. That's what the word justified, that's all that's packed into that word justified. These He called internally, all of them, all of them, everyone without exception, are also justified. They're also declared innocent. And they're declared that way by faith in the Messiah. So then he goes on and says, and those he justified, he also glorified, which is our fifth link in the chain. And I think glorified here goes back to verses 17 through 18 in Romans 8, where it says this, and if children also heirs, heirs of Yahweh and co-heirs with Messiah, seeing that we suffer with him, talking about in this life, so that we may also be glorified with him. He goes on in verse 18 to write, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. You ever heard somebody talk about how that when the Messiah was resurrected, he was resurrected into his glorified body. The body that he resurrected with, it looked like him. And even for a purpose, Yahweh allowed the nail prints there in his hands and his side to still be there. Now all the lashes and everything wasn't on his back, but they were there for a purpose, okay? But that body that he was resurrected with was different than the one that he was, he was in when he was put to death. The one that he had when he was put to death was mortal. It was able to die, and it did. He was dead for three days. But when he was resurrected, he was resurrected to immortality. Now, it's not something that's taught a lot in churches to seek after immortality. Because most people teach that our reward is going to heaven as like a disembodied spirit. But the Bible actually teaches that when you die, you'll fall asleep and you won't be conscious. Your next conscious moment, it'll be just like that to you. It won't be any lapse of time. Your next conscious moment, if you're in the Messiah, will be 
resurrected to immortality. That'll be your next conscious moment. I remember when I had my molars taken out. That didn't happen when I was a teenager. So when I got older and got married, I had to spend the money to get my molar teeth taken out. And they put me under the drug. So they put me under the drug, and I remember the woman was talking to me, and I was witnessing to her. And then I felt the medicine start coming in, you know, and you get woozy. And But they have to do it because they're doing major surgery, you know, making all these cuts on my mouth. And I remember when I woke up, it was almost two hours later, and they had taken out all of my molar teeth. And I remember when I came to it, I was like, you know, are we through? Uh, I felt like I just laid down. Why? Because I was without consciousness there on that table, so to speak. I was put under the influence of a very powerful medicine. This is actually what happens to the believer. The believer dies, as Daniel 12, 2 says, many that sleep in the dust of the earth will awake one day, and the, those that are in Messiah, they'll awake to everlasting life. But those that are outside of the Messiah will awake to everlasting shame and contempt. They won't get what the believers in the Messiah got. Okay? So that's the reward. And even though we don't hear a lot of people talk about immortality, the Bible talks about it so often that we're to seek immortality. Paul says in Romans 1, that's what we're seeking after. Immortality and glory. And all those that are called internally are justified. Everybody that's justified is glorified. So you read about what happened to the Messiah when He was resurrected and how that He would show up there in the room even though there was a wall separating the outside from the inside, he would show up in the room, and there he would be. And they thought, well, this is a ghost. This is a phantasma. He said, no, touch me. Touch me. You know, I've got flesh and bone. I'm a human being. He even ate fish. We can eat in our glorified body. How many know that we'll actually eat in the kingdom? We will. We're not floating on a cloud, playing a harp, singing kumbaya. We're eating there in the kingdom. And we're, we're living forever. We're in a body. It'll look like me. I don't know how old I'll be. Hopefully I'll be at my most vibrant age and, and most physically fit age. Probably about 17 or something like that. 18, hopefully. 25, Brother Jerry says. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. I can't answer all those questions. But I do know this. I'll have an immortal body that won't be able to get sick, won't be able to die. You can't harm it. You couldn't cut it. You can't do anything to it because it's a resurrection body. It's just like the body that Yeshua had when he was resurrected. So you read in the Gospels about his story after his resurrection, and you are so thankful because you know if you put your faith in him, one day that will be you. That will be you one day. And you'll be able to sit down and eat some fish there. You know, it's going to have fins and scales, praise Yahweh. You'll eat that fish there in the kingdom. You'll rejoice with him and plant those vineyards and work them and just have a great time. Have a wonderful time there in the Millennium Kingdom. So praise Yahweh for that. So, there is no breaks in this chain. There's no breaks in this chain, in this golden chain of redemption. It starts off with foreknowledge, and then it goes to predestination, and then it goes to call, then it goes to justified, and then it goes to glorified, and there's no breaks. No breaks. In other words, everybody that this passage is talking about, that Yahweh foreknew, remember, that's loving foreknowledge, that's not just bare knowledge. Every single individual that Yahweh foreknew in this way, will eventually be glorified. No getting out of the chain. No breaks in the chain. For those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. This is why you as a believer should be encouraged that everything's working out together for your good because those he foreknew and then you know the rest of the passage. That's why you be encouraged like that, okay? This is one of the passages why I believe 
I personally believe in what's called eternal security. Now, I want to define it because it's not the same thing as once saved, always saved. It's not the same thing. I do not believe in the doctrine of once saved, always saved. I want you to know that. Let me give you three major interpretations of biblical texts here. The first one is what we'll call once saved, always saved. That is a doctrine taught by a lot of churches that you get saved by praying a prayer, asking Christ into your heart, maybe coming down to an altar, saying the sinner's prayer, etc., maybe being baptized. And then because God's grace is so strong, you'll never ever be lost even if you live a lifestyle of sin. And so a group of parents, a mother and a father can have a child that came down to an altar or prayed a sinner's prayer, but yet they're out in the world and they're doing everything under heaven that's wrong. And yet, because of this false doctrine, they'll think, well, I know little Bobby or little Susie is living wrong now, but I don't want to forget that day they came down to the altar. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I don't. One reason why I don't, I could preach a whole message on this, but here's one reason why I don't right here in this text. Let's go back to it. Verse 29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to the image of his Son. People that say a prayer, but they have no conforming to the image of the Son, they have no lifestyle change, they're not in this chain. They're not in the chain. They can't be in the chain. They can't be saved. They can't. And that's because, brothers and sisters and children, listen carefully, That's because you do not get saved by praying a prayer. You get saved by Yahweh saving you in your heart. Nothing wrong with praying a prayer. Nothing wrong with that. You should pray and ask Yahweh to forgive you. That's not what makes you saved. It's not a magic potion that you drink and then you've got it. You've been stamped and it's okay. No. Yahweh changes your heart and your mind. And it might happen at one year old for some people. And it might happen at 75 for other people. Some people come in at the 11th hour. And and don't be mad about that because Yeshua taught that parable. He said, well, these people got paid just as much as as we did. He said, well, you agreed for the penny. You agreed for for the money. They still came in. They worked an hour and they came in. Some people get saved late in their life. And that's Yahweh's doings. That's why you shouldn't ever lose hope, sister, as long as there's breath there. Yahweh can still change somebody. You don't get saved by praying a prayer, children. You don't. Yahweh saves you. And when He saves you, you'll know it. Daddy won't have to tell you. Mommy won't have to tell you. You'll know it. You'll know it. It can be in your bedroom. It can be out here on the parking lot. It can happen to you because Yahweh is omnipresent. He can change your heart at any time, any place, and anywhere He wants to do it. It can happen right here as you're sitting here. I don't have to start playing soothing music and dim the lights and say, let's come down and let's sing 56 stanzas of Just As I Am Without One Plea. I don't have to do that. Yahweh can save you. And He saves you by the... He uses the preaching of the Word to save you. He does. That's how He saves people, with preaching of the Word. Not preaching what, you know, how the worldly preachers preach, but preaching of the Word. Preach the Word, Paul told Timothy. Preach the Word. And so, you can have salvation. Yahweh can do it. But... He doesn't save people. Yahweh doesn't have any children that's running wild. All of His children 
he predestines them to be conformed to the image of his son. We talked about this last week. The son, what that means is two things. One, you obey the law. <laughs> That's what it means. Because the son did. He conforms you to the image. And secondly, is the future. He fully conforms you to the image in your glorified body. Then you'll be exactly like Yeshua is now. So I don't believe that doctrine. But, but there's another doctrine that I don't believe. I don't think that you have to agree with me on what I'm about to say. But I want to, I want to share it with you. I don't believe this. There's another doctrine that thinks that somebody can be genuinely regenerated by the power of Yahweh. They can be truly saved from their sins. Truly saved, truly regenerated, and then fall away. I don't believe that. I believe the third position. I believe this position like this. I believe if somebody's truly regenerated, truly, in their heart and their mind, that they will eventually be glorified. One of the reasons I believe that is this verse. All those he foreknew eventually will be glorified. I also bring up this to, to people. Matthew seven twenty three. Remember what Yeshua says to those people that come to him and they say, Lord, 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 Lord. What does he tell them? He says, depart from me, you lawbreakers. I never knew you. Never. Not, well, I once knew you. I once truly regenerated you, but you fell away. No, he said, I never knew you. You thought you were saved, but I never knew you. And so that's why I think that sometimes we see people that on the outward appearance look like they're in the vine. They look like they're plugged in. But time shows the true colors. And eventually they fall away. What happened? Did they lose their salvation? I don't think so. I don't think they ever had it to begin with. Don't think they ever had it to begin with. First John 2.19, they went out from us, John says, because they were not of us. Had they truly been of us, they would have continued with us. So I believe people must be obedient because Yahweh is conforming them to the image of His Son. But when you see somebody fall away that you thought might have been saved, if they fall away biblically, I think, it's because... Yeshua never knew him. And you know, if you're one of Yahweh's sheep, one of Yeshua's sheep, you'll never hear the words, I never knew you. Because he says, I know my sheep, John 10. I know my sheep. So how can somebody that's truly a sheep ever hear the words, I never knew you? Now, once again, what does he mean when he says, I never knew you? Surely he knew them. He knew who they were. It's intimate, isn't it? I never knew you for salvation. He knows Joe Smith down the street, but he might not know Joe Smith intimately for salvation. You see that? So that's that's something to think about right there, okay? So people can't just say, well, I'll just live anyway and I'll be saved because, you know, I grew up a Baptist or I grew up a Pentecostal or I grew up a sacred name believer and, you know, it's no problem. I, I've been saved. That's wrong. I don't think that's right. So verse 31 we come to now. Romans 8, 31, it says, What then are we to say about these things? If Yahweh is for us, who is against us? What are the, these things here in verse 31? Well, I think it pertains to the golden chain of redemption that we just talked about in verses 29 and 30. But it might also pertain to the whole book of Romans, like beginning right, right around chapters 5 all the way through 8. you got to remember, I'm only teaching on Romans 8. Paul wrote a whole seven chapters before he got to chapter 8. And it's one cohesive letter. And so in verse 31 when he says, what then are we to say about these things? He could be talking about everything that I've written up till now. And then he says, if Yahweh is for us, who is against us? And that first part that says, if Yahweh is for us, 
That's not a question. That's a statement. He's not asking a question like, well, if Yahweh is for us. No, he's saying, if Yahweh is for us, then who is against us? Now, the second part, who is against us, is not saying that there won't be anybody to try to rise up against you. But it is saying this. If Yahweh's on your side, it doesn't matter who rises up against you. The army of Israel, it did not matter how big or how many people or soldiers there was in the opposing military if they were adhering to Yahweh's law. If there was sin in the camp, it didn't matter how strong they were. They could be fighting this measly old army. Yahweh would let that measly army beat Israel. But then we have David and Goliath, like Sister Rhonda was mentioning a few weeks back. Goliath could have been 30 feet tall, and it wouldn't have mattered. Because David had Yahweh on his side. He said, you come to me with all these things. He said, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh. I just got this little slingshot, but I'm not trusting in this slingshot to win. I'm trusting in him. So, Goliath was against David, right? But, if Yahweh was for David, did it matter? No, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. David was going to defeat Goliath. Praise Yahweh. So, that's what that's talking about right there. And that all harkens back to 8.17 and 8.28. There will be many people come against us, but they cannot defeat Yahweh. Paul is encouraging the sufferers. He's encouraging those that suffer through persecution in this life. And he's saying, look, all this stuff that's happening to you now, if Yahweh's for you, who really can be against you? If Yahweh really foreknew you intimately, you'll eventually be glorified. You've got nothing to worry about. Verse 32. He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Now, first follow the pronouns, okay? He, that's Yahweh, did not spare his, that's Yahweh, own son, that's the son, right? But offered him, that's the son again, up for us all. I'll get into that in a second. That's the elect. How will he, Yahweh, not also with him, Yeshua the son, grant us everything? So you've got to follow the pronouns there. Yahweh didn't spare his own son. He offered Yeshua up for us all. And he will also with the son give us everything. Remember 8, 817? We are heirs of Yahweh, but we're fellow heirs with the Messiah. Yahweh will give us everything that he gives to his son because we've been adopted into the family of Yahweh. And then it says Yahweh did not spare his own son. And what does this mean? Well, it means exactly what the text says, but he offered him up. He gave him up as a sacrifice. It's saying the same thing as John 3.16. King James Version says, For God so loved the world. And that's not the best way to translate that passage. HCSB gets it better. It says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his only begotten son. He did not spare his own son. You see the word own there? That word own, O-W-N, there in the Greek, that's equivalent to only begotten. That's showing unique sonship right there. That's showing that although Yahweh has sons and daughters by adoption, he's got somebody he calls his own son. So if Yahweh did not even spare his own son, which that's a great thing, then it says, how will he not also with him grant us everything? If he can do the greater, which is not sparing his own son, surely he'll grant you everything with the son. That's lesser than him not sparing his own son. Paul is arguing, it's a very Hebraic argument, from the greater to the lesser. If he did this great thing, he surely will do this for you. You see that, okay? He talks about us all. 
and us. And if you look back at verse 31, there at the end it says, If God is for us, who is against us? Going back to verse 32, But offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who is this us all? It's not everybody all-inclusive. It's the elect. It's those who were lovingly, intimately foreknown that will eventually be glorified. That's not everybody. I quoted a passage earlier in Daniel 12 too. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth, that's talking about death, will awake. Some to everlasting what? Life. Some to everlasting shame and contempt. Now, if you say the shame and contempt is not everlasting for the wicked, then you have to say that the life is not everlasting for the righteous. See, it's life and death. That's what they get. The righteous get life. The wicked get death. Nobody's in hell right now. Nobody's burning right now up under our feet. Nobody's been judged. The judgment is later on in the future. And those that will be judged to death, that's what they'll receive. They'll receive death. Also, there's another passage in Isaiah. This is another one I bring up to people. When we talk about this, us all. Isaiah 66, 23 and 24. It says this, From one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh, you remember that? All flesh come together to worship before me, says Yahweh. Now we might think, if we just read that verse, we might think that's everybody all inclusive. But it's not. It's not. This is how I know. The next verse says this, And they, speaking of the all flesh, shall look upon the carcasses of those that have transgressed, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That goes to Mark 9. You can parallel that. So the all flesh is talking about all the elect, because they're looking upon the carcasses of those that have transgressed. So the us all here, it's not universalism, the us all here is the elect, those chosen, those foreknown, and eventually glorified. Praise Yahweh. So we get to verse 33. Who can bring an accusation against God's or Yahweh's who? Elect. God is the one who justifies. So first we have a question. Who can or who has the ability to bring an accusation? Once again, just like there will be many try to come against you, many will try to bring an accusation against you. The Bible teaches that Satan, whoever you think that is, he's an accuser of the brethren. He'll try and try to accuse you, but if you're the elect of Yahweh, does it matter? No. He'll try to come against you, but if you're the elect of Yahweh, does it matter? No. If Yahweh's for you, who can be against you? Who can bring a charge against you if you're the elect of Yahweh? Nobody can. That's the understanding of that. No one can accuse you because it is Yahweh that has declared you innocent. You've been covered in the covering of His Son. The righteousness of His Son. The substitute death of His Son. The resurrection, the first fruit resurrection of His Son. You've been covered in all that. So it doesn't matter how much Satan tries to accuse you. It doesn't matter. You've been covered. If Yahweh's foreknown you, you'll eventually be glorified. Yahweh's verdict is final. When Yahweh lays the gavel down, there's no changing it. No appeal. Yahweh's got the last say. If Yahweh says, I declare Tim Welton innocent, it doesn't matter what kind of adversary he says, but no, no, I declare him guilty. Yahweh says, no. He's been covered by my son. It's final. Enemies will try, but none will stand. That's what verse 34 talks about. Verse 34, we'll end it with this. It says, who is the one who condemns? That's a question. The answer there is rhetorical. The answer is no one. 
No one. It's just like many tried to come against you in verse 31 and accuse you in verse 33, but they all fail. They all fail because Yahweh is the one who justifies, not man. Yahweh is. Why do they fail? Well, verse 34 says this. After that, it says, who is the one who condemns? It says, Messiah, Yeshua, is the one who died. But even more, has been raised. He also is at the right hand of Yahweh and intercedes for us. There's that us again. So why do the people that try to condemn you, why do they fail? Well, it's because of what the Son of Yahweh has done for you and the faith that you put in Him. And so who is He that condemns? That's what Paul's saying. It's a question. Who is He that condemns? Nobody. Messiah Yeshua has died. But even more, He's been raised. The Father initiated your salvation and the Son then carried it through. That's why the Son says in John 6, 37, He says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one coming to me, I will in no wise cast out. I won't. John 6, 44, No man can come to me, the Son says, unless the Father which has sent me draws him. And then people stop reading, but you shouldn't. The last part of the verse says, And I will raise him up at the last day. All those drawn by the Father to the Son, we're talking about internally, will eventually be raised up on the last day to eternal life. Because in John 6, raised up on the last day in John 6 means immortality. So if the Father internally regenerates you genuinely and truly and draws you to the Son, the Son carries it through and He loses none of the sheep. I know my sheep. They listen to my voice. They know me. And nobody can pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all. No man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. Then he says, I and my Father are one. One in what? One in keeping the sheep. Not one person. One in keeping the sheep. They're unified. They both got the same goal, to keep the sheep. Yeshua loses none of those that the Father gives to him. So it says that the Messiah died, but even more importantly, it says, even more, he has been raised. And there's about 18 times in the Bible where it says that Yahweh raised him from the dead. Do you believe that today? I really believe today that the Messiah died. I'm talking about he was dead. He couldn't think, couldn't clap his hands, couldn't speak. He was dead. Yahweh had to resurrect him from the dead. And when I die, I'm going to be dead. If I'm in the Messiah, Yahweh will resurrect me just like he did his son. So resurrection here is mentioned, the resurrection of Yeshua, is mentioned because of the context of of glorification. The glorified body. Once again, our reward is not as a disembodied spirit on a cloud playing a harp. That's not a reward. Our reward is a new body. A resurrection body that will never grow old. That will never die. Then it says at the end, He is also at the right hand of Yahweh. And a lot of people try to spiritualize that. There is a spiritual meaning to it. Right hand always signifies power and authority. And we can understand it spiritually in the sense that the Messiah has been given the highest position that anybody could be given. Now, that doesn't mean that he has the highest position as Almighty Yahweh. Because 1 Corinthians 15 says that when Yahweh puts all things under his feet, all things, it's manifest that he that put all things under his feet is omitted from that. Yahweh's not under the Messiah's feet. Yahweh's the one that gives him power and authority. He's at the right hand of Yahweh. He's got the greatest position in the universe that anybody could be given. Okay? But, but I also believe he's literally at the right hand. 
the reason I believe that, spiritual and literal, is because I see such a significance in the Hebrews' faith all through the Tanakh, how that when kings would have these big banquets, they would literally set the best person, their choicest person, at their right hand. And I believe that when Stephen looked up in Acts 7, and he saw the glory of Yahweh, and then he saw Yeshua standing at the right hand of Yahweh, I believe he really saw it. He really did. It wasn't one being that he saw. It was two beings that he saw. Two. So this says that Yeshua is at the right hand of Yahweh and he intercedes for us. Intercedes means he asks, he mediates, he's our peace. He intercedes by his life, death, and resurrection, but he also intercedes to the Father when we pray to the Father because of what the Son has done for us. Or we might say through the Son. And so the elect are secure. They're secure. But it's not because of anything that they've done. It's because of something that's been done for them. The elect have been lovingly foreknown. They've been predestined, predetermined to be conformed to the image of Yahweh's Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And all those that Yahweh predestined these he called. It's an internal call. All those that he called, these he justified. All those that he justified, these he glorified. No break in that chain. There's not one there. Who can bring an accusation against the elect? Nobody. Yahweh's the one that justifies. Yeshua's the one that died. Even more, he's been raised from the dead. And he sits at the right hand and he intercedes for us. Who's the us? The elect. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. We glorify you. Father Yahweh, I pray that this sermon wouldn't just be listened to today, but I pray that people would go back and study it, research it out. I pray that they would make sure to know it for their self because that's the only thing that's going to stand when the world's on fire. So, Father Yahweh, I just ask right now that you bless us in our week. Keep us in remembrance of what it means to be your child. We go through these things because it's in the Bible and we love your word. We do believe that you gave it to us supernaturally. And so it might be Paul writing it down, but you're using him as a vessel. And he's teaching the same thing the prophets taught and the Messiah taught, etc. So we rest in that today, Father. Give us a wonderful evening. And might we, uh, might we stay in your, your will this week do things that are pleasing to you, and make our calling and election sure. We love you and we thank you. Through your Son we pray. Amen.